Hello, 2021. You're off to the fucking start of all time. <laughs> I didn't know how you messed this up worse than 2020, but here we are, back from the coup. We didn't go to the coup, guys. I just, I mean, the coup existed, <laughs> and we're we've come back to to our podcast. But welcome to the Bomb Squad. Not coup related. Let me reiterate: this is not coup related. Mm. But welcome to the Bomb Squad, where we appreciate the underappreciated. And this is our first episode of 2021. And I'm proud to announce that our little film, The Empty Space, managed to beat out Sky Sharks, the zombie shark movie, (laughs) to win Best of the Fest at its first festival, the Sacramento Horror Film Festival. And yeah, that's pretty awesome. Me and Josh both worked on it. It stars Valerie Eileen. But we just won. It's very exciting. It's our first festival and to win the best award, um, it feels pretty I don't I wouldn't say vindicating. I think it just feels like, oh good, we we don't have a bomb on our hands. <laughs> we don't have right. to defend our own movie on our podcast. <laughs> um so yeah, so that's that was pretty exciting. We also had a coup this week. Which was terrifying. I spent all day staring at my phone. We usually was... we usually don't that... do breaks for news, but we also usually don't have coups. <laughs> that was last week, um, it, it, wasn't it? I mean, has has I, a week even I mean, ended? I guess the I, I guess the coup is still happening. Yeah. technically. I mean, when I you have know. you know, when you have members sleeping on the floor of Congress, when you have soldiers sleeping on the floor of Congress. The coup is still very much in effect. <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's a real mess. Yeah, it was, it was, it's been a quite a few rough days, but we're back to give you a break from that where we talk about movies that are underappreciated. And this movie, this movie is very underappreciated. We're going to be talking about, hold on, I got to figure out the year that this was made and also pull trivia. <laughs> Do like things that I should have done already. It was uh, it was made in 1999, and we're talking about um, the action adventure film, The Thirteenth Warrior, starring Antonio Banderas. See, look, and I just want to reiterate for anyone who's listening to our podcast, I can say Antonio Banderas. I might not be able to say Marian Cotillard right away, <laughs> but. I can say Antonio Banderas. I was gonna say now say the super Scandinavian names of any other. I can actor say in this movie. Omar Sharif. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the only two character actors I'm gonna be talking about. Um, but yeah, the Thirteenth Warrior. Josh, why don't you tell us what this movie is about? So the Thirteenth Warrior is a story of an ambassador from the Arabic lands who ends up winds up tagging along with this group of Vikings as they kind of combat this, like, mysterious threat to a kingdom. That's basically the plot. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it's, it came out in 1999. Um, it flopped super hard, apparently. Oh, it was directed by John McTiernan, but we'll talk about whether it really was in a bit. It was based on a book called Eaters of the Dead by Michael Crichton, but we'll talk about whether there really was in a little bit. <laughs> And, uh, it was a huge bomb. It made like it was made for like 160, and it made like 60 million dollars. Um, and it's been—I don't know if it's been forgotten, but like nobody ever talks about it. Also, 
Um, it's been mostly forgotten, but we I've always <laughs> loved this movie. And uh, so, yeah, let's talk. You, you know, about- it is what is strange about it being a flop, though, because I was reading the, you know, kind of like trying to like like read up on this movie. Yeah. And it was th- this is in the Wikipedia article in a weirdly combative way, because the article's like, oh, well, it only made 60 million, but it cost 160 and then it's like, but sources have pointed out, actually, it only cost around 100 and the other $60 million was advertising. It's like, well, they still lost that mm-hmm. money. Like, why are you... Yeah, that's like, still money lost. Like, why are you still $100 million in the hole. Yeah. Um, so. But yeah, and okay, so apparently it had a very troubled production. It actually caused Omar Sarif to quit the movie, like, making movies altogether. He's famously from... Lawrence of Arabia, um, and this was his last film. And, like, according to rumors, John McTiernan made the film, and then it got such bad, like, audience scores on their viewings. They brought in Michael Crichton to re-edit the film. He did a new score. He, like, redid the ending. He basically, like, redirected the film, which is why the budget, it was originally supposed to be a $60 million budget, and it ballooned to $160 million. And it had... That, yeah. that is that is weird, by the way. Like, that, that it was... I know Michael Crichton wrote the book, but it's weird that they would bring him in to direct the movie. Because I was like, oh, does he direct a lot of movies? And I looked him up and I'm like, not really. <laughs> this is the only one I've heard of that he's done, you know? Yeah. It's like, hey, remember that guy who made that failed movie? <laughs> <laughs> it's like... Because it's like it's also like John McTiernan's like, Oh, hey, the director of Die Hard's not working out. Let's get John Grisham yeah, to finish I, this for us. Well, and like, I think why? it's kind of like that thing where Bridesmaids was a huge hit. And so they're like, oh, well, let's get Paul Feig to write the new Ghostbusters movie. And it's like, well, he didn't write Bridesmaids. He just directed it. Um, but they're but like they don't pay attention where it's like, well, Michael Crichton wrote Jurassic Park. And that's the biggest hit of all time. Let's just get him to direct. It's like, well, again, like. Not only that, but if you read the book to Jurassic Park, they're not the same at all. But who cares who directed it? Because I love this movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's a good movie. Let's talk any more trivia that I thought was interesting that doesn't fit in with our other things. It seemed to be, I will say, it does seem to be kind of a passion project because he wrote the book in like the 70s. And I think the intent was to write the book and then immediately like option into a film and the fact that it took 20 years to do it kind of i i wonder if this is something that he like hung on to like for a long time you know well yeah and you know what that's a good that's a good that's a good segue into the book but before we get into the book let me point one of the reasons i like this movie out which is incorrect i've learned so the movie (laughs) is based on a real life guy the movie and the book it's based the book is actually written as if it's like a found journal that Michael Crichton found like in a library. He even like in the book, he even talks about like the process of finding the, the manuscript. And it's based on this real guy whose name is... Oh, now I'm going to fuck everything up. <laughs> now the mispronunciations um, begin. His name got, is... Well, uh, I got... Uh, you go ahead, yeah. Uh, his name is Ahmed Ibn Fahaland. And... um he was a real guy. He was a real ambassador to the Vikings from from Arabia. And uh and so this book is based 
on a fake journal of a real guy. And so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, odd, it's odd in the same way. Well, not exactly, but in the prestige where Tesla is a character who invented magic. Right. And you're right. like, oh, okay, you know. Yeah. But it's, it's not a movie even about Tesla, so it's weird that he's in it as a side character yeah. to create magic cloning machines. Or for a more appropriate... Um... For a more appropriate example, it's like in Shanghai Nights when Charlie Chaplin shows up <laughs> and where they inadvertently stop Jack the Ripper. Friday, it's, Shanghai Nights, don't watch it, it's bad. Um, it's, like, it's like that episode of the X-Men when Wolverine meets, um, who is it, James Deed? Yeah. No, it's <laughs> Marlon like Brando and James oh, Deed and he Brando. beats them up, yeah. For no reason, they're just background characters. I hope I find that because it's the funniest thing I've ever seen. Um, but yeah, so it, and it's also, it's supposed to be, if you pay attention, it's supposed to be like the real, quote-unquote, real account of Beowulf, the famous story. So just to reiterate, this is a fake diary of a real person based, that's supposed to be a real version, a real... It's the fake it's a fake diary of a real person that's supposed to be the real version of Beowulf the folklore. <laughs> I'll actually I'll go one better too cuz I this this is also like a weird inversion I found during it. Um, the reason the movie's called the 13th Warrior is because when they're setting out they need like it's part of their like prophecy that they need a 13th man who can't be like one of the Vikings. Um, and it's like, oh, that prophecy is based on this old Nordic tale, <laughs> which scholars actually think is just a version of Beowulf. So, like, the folklore it's based on is itself. You, you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. they believe in it in the movie because they believe this tale that's about the tale that's being retold in the movie. Jesus. It's like Inception <laughs> style. Um, but also... Yeah. Yeah, and like, I mean, historical fiction is a thing, and it's it's grown bigger, but it's just kind of funny that for so long, like it, like one of the other trivia things is that they have gotten because in the in the book they've gotten so um, they they list like that they found it in I think it's Oxford, the Oxford Library, and they got so many requests at the time requests at the time of its release asking where the book was that they had an automatic like letterhead ready that said you've been scammed by michael crane <laughs> which i think is pretty funny um but also okay here's the other thing so again like i said this movie is based it like the main character is ahmed uh fahalan ibn fahalan and he's played by antonio banderas and antonio banderas is hispanic and I talked about this a little bit on the Under the Shadows, our lost episode. Lost because of mysterious circumstances or technical difficulties, whichever one you decide. Um, but I talked about this, that my great-grandfather was uh, from Arabia. And he, um, he came to Mexico to open a shop. And so my grandparents, or my grandpa was half... Uh, half Arab and or half Muslim and I am oh, like whatever <laughs> but we have Muslim blood in us so when I saw this movie and it was like a Hispanic who was part Muslim I was like oh my god 
This guy's literally portraying me. Because at the time, I think when it came out, 1999, we were like in middle school. So I did not yet know that Hollywood will just cast any brown person to play to play any brown role, regardless of whether they actually that role. So when I saw Antonio Banderas playing a Muslim, I was like, oh, Hispanic who's also Muslim. That's like me. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So that's one of the reasons I liked it. And it's no longer the case because he's clearly not playing. I mean, he's clearly not Muslim. But I do still like the movie, despite the fact that it shouldn't be Antonio Banderas playing him. And he does a good job. It's just, he's, I mean, he's Spanish. He's not Muslim at all. Um, yeah, they don't even kind of try to, <laughs> like, like, he's not, like, doing a different accent. Yeah, he still has this like very Antonio thick Antonio Banderas <laughs> accent. Um, but, yeah. yeah, yeah, the book is, it's okay. I like the movie better, but they're very similar. Um, I think the title is better of the book, but it also it's like I don't know if it would fit the movie because it sounds like a horror title, you know. And that's why they changed it actually. And I do like the title better, but even in the book, like the reason the book is called Eaters of the Dead, which is a better title. But in the book and the movie, they kind of mention that they eat the dead once, and then it never comes up again. So it's kind of yeah, like it's... it's a weird thing to name. Because when you title it that, you're kind of focusing on that, and it's just not the focus of either the book or the movie. It's just so weird. Where the Thirteenth Warrior, like, yeah, that is that is the focus of of the dude. He is the Thirteenth Warrior. Um, okay, so let's let's get into it. Let's jump into it. So yeah, like we were saying, the Thirteenth Warrior. He plays uh, Antonio Banderas plays uh, Amber, and he's like on his way to his assignment when he runs into these Northmen, and they are. Um, they, they're like a tribe, and they're like trying to figure out who their new king is. And then like a, a person, like another ship shows up in the middle of the night. And they say that their kingdom is being oversieged by mysterious monsters. And so they have, Excuse me. And so they have to, or they ask for help. And then they like talk to a witch, and the witch says they need 13 warriors. And so people start volunteering. And... Uh, and the last warrior has to be someone who's not from the north, which places it squarely on Antonio Banderas's head. And so he has to, so he joins with them, and they go off to to try to stop this thing. It's a very clear, like, uh, samurai story. Like it was made popular by Akira Kurosawa in Rashomon, and even you know Seven Samurai. And then, you know, it became, like, Dirty Dozen and, like, uh, what's the Clint Eastwood one? Yeah, it's, like, kind of a, kind of a of genre. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, like, basically the one where, like, a, a, there's, like, an outsider and he joins a group and they have to go, like, stop something, you know? But I will say, I think, to me, this is the best version of this type of film. Um, like, one of the things I really like about this is that there's a team, because there's obviously 13 Warriors... And you don't really, like, you don't obviously meet anyone or, like, everyone. There's, like, three main ones. It's the Beowulf character, who in this is called uh, Bullwife. Bullwolf. Bullwife, yeah. And he's played by Valad Kulic. And he's the main character of the story. I mean, he's not the main character of the story, but he's the protagonist. And then you also have um, Richard Bremer, who plays Skeld. No, it's not Richard Bremer. It's uh, 
Oh, I don't even want to say this name. It's Dennis. <laughs> Dennis Storhoy. Storhoy, yeah. That's the only yeah. One I wrote down. And he uh, plays. Yeah, he played. It's Herger or Herger. I don't know. I don't. I don't think they ever say his name, Herger. I just I looked it up in the credits because I was curious because I was like, oh, he's he's actually the character who's the most kind of in the movie other than. Antonio Banderas yeah. and Beowulf, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, so it just follows these three main characters, but you never feel like the team isn't part of the team. Like, they all have distinguishing characteristics and they have enough screen time that you don't feel like anyone is, is like, they're clearly not focusing on everyone, but you never feel like there's like they aren't real characters. You just kind of feel like you're not focusing on them, you know? Like, there's the, there's the, the black-haired arrow guy, <laughs> And then there's uh, there's the big buff guy, and then there's the Scottish guy, and like yeah, I don't know any of their names, but also like they're very distinguishable, and they all have like a good few moments where they kind of like either joke around with Antonio Banderas, or they, uh, they like tease him, or they just have a moment, you know, where like you always kind of feel like if they're not on screen, they're doing something else, and that's very hard to accomplish in such a team movie, you know. <laughs> well no i mean yeah it's it's because they each have a moment and usually if one of them dies in like a scene or something it'll definitely emphasize like kind of the severity of it so it's like you always feel like they're there they especially kind of show that the one guy distrusts antonio Banderas someone early on like as part of the group and he's the one who right. always attacks him yeah they also so, like it has yeah. one of the best scenes where like they're traveling to the north and uh Antonio Banderas is like, he speaks English, but they're supposed to be speaking Arabic. Um, and the Northmen are speaking whatever, whatever Vikings speak. Um, <laughs> the Norse. Yeah. I guess. And, uh, and like, he's slowly watching them. And it like, it does a great instance of him learning the language just by being surrounded by them without actually like phoning it in for us. And I understand it kind of like... It takes it a little bit from Hunt for Red October because Hunt for Red October kind of does this. Like, you know how... Have you seen Hunt for Red October? Uh, like, probably 15 years ago. But the yeah. very beginning of Hunt for Red October, they're all speaking Russian. And then they keep speaking Russian and then it suddenly shifts to them speaking English. And the intent is, okay, now we're going to switch to English so you don't have to read subtitles. <laughs> but you have to understand that in, in the movie universe... They're still speaking Russian. Yeah. Well, and, and they, in, in this movie too, they, they actually kind of coolly said it, like they set it up in a cool way because at the beginning, Antonio Banderas is there with his like, his like uh, the elder, like ambassador that he's with and they're going around and the guy's trying to speak Arabic to them in English and they don't understand. Then he speaks Greek and Antonio Banderas doesn't speak Greek. Right. So he just hears Greek, and then later he just hears Norse. And when he learns it, it becomes English. It's like, okay, that's that's like a good shorthand for like you're seeing it through his eyes and like hearing what he hears. Right, right. Know? And it emphasizes. It also emphasizes that Antonio Banderas is smart, like that he can pick up a language in a few days. Um, yeah, it's a great scene, and it really shows. It really shows it off. Um, but yeah, the team aspect is good, and you see a lot of them. You see a lot of their mixing. Um, and so, yeah, they get to the north and they and it's just, you know, it's based on Beowulf, but it kind of gets the structure wrong because the first the first night they fight these monsters 
And they, uh, it's supposed to be the night, the, the time that they fight Grendel in the hall. And that works yeah, they, well. They, they, they call them the Wendell. Yeah, they call them the Wendell. <laughs> It's, it's like a little on the nose, but whatever. I mean, it's close. To, I mean, the guy's name is uh, Bullvie, but if you see it spelled <laughs> out, it's clearly Beowulf. Um, yeah. But, okay, so the first night, they fight him in the Grand Hall, just like in Beowulf. But then the second night, they fight the dragon, which in this version is just them. They, they're like, all these people are, um, they're kind of like tribesmen, and they have like bear heads on their head because they want people to think they're bears um and in the movie it's never explained who they are but in the book they're actually supposed to be the last tribe of neanderthals oh really yeah yeah they kind of like (laughs) hint at it yeah they do well because i was gonna say they they kind of imply they're pagan it like kind of vaguely pagan in a nondescript way but at one point he finds their idol and it's clearly supposed to be the like the Venus of Willendorf, the like yeah. fifty thousand BC like fertility idol, and it's like the idea that they've just had this like secret like cult for th- uh, tens of thousands of years. I you mean, know? the real question is, can you ever have a movie that mentions any kind of idol of a woman without it being that very specific? <laughs> like that's in every movie where they're like, oh, we need I a woman like, statue. But it's, it's not even just because sometimes it'll. I've like like it could have been like an older like oh like a skinny like tree woman or something but no it's just straight up like the giant yeah breasted yeah it's always that one yeah Um, (laughs) yeah but yeah in the book in the book they have like the bigger slope of their head and they're kind of shorter and so like they look more like monsters where in the movie they're wearing like the bear heads and but they look like regular dudes once you take that off um which I, I understand why they did that, because it would have cost a lot of money. Like, there's like a thousand of them or something, you know? So it would have cost money to make them look. But I do like the way they look. Like, they're, they have, like, the big bear heads, and they have, like, they're, like, pretty savage, even if they're on. Yeah, it's like an animal druidic. It's kind of a, yeah, like, like of that. Um, I think a lot of movies and games will do the kind of like oh if they're pagans they wear like animal skulls and stuff and that's it's just that for the most part like yeah. i don't think they're changing it up that much it's different enough because they're bare heads um and then so the second night they fight the dragon which is just the same guys but they're carrying torches but in the legend of beowulf he fights the dragon last but they also still have that scene <laughs> I think they just wanted well, to add the dragon. It, it does kill. It does kill some people, at least. Yeah. So. Okay. So then, and then, so that, that's when they figure out that they're just men, and they're trying to be bears, and they go to another witch. I also like that this, like, oh, we can talk about that <laughs> later. But yeah, they go to another witch, and she says they have to kill the mother and the leader. So they fi- they figure out that they want to be bears, and they go down into, or they find out that since they want to be bears, they have a cave. So they go find him, and that's when they fight the mother, which would be Grendel's mother. <laughs> Guys, get it? Grendel? Beowulf? Uh, and that's another cool scene, because they're like... The fact that this movie... Like, that happens... In a lot of these fantasy movies, I feel that they they don't have enough money. Like, He-Man is a good example of this, where they only had Castle Grayskull and, like, random desert shots. 
So they like just stayed in the yeah. desert shots. Like I don't. I'm not a huge fan of a certain series of films, but at least they're all over New Zealand. <laughs> but a lot of times, a lot of times in fantasy <laughs> movies, they're only in like one location. So I do appreciate in the Thirteenth Warrior, like the first night is a town hall, then the second night is outside in the village, and then the third night they go to the caves. Well, I think what I was gonna say is. It's funny if you think about it, because in that structure, like, yeah, they kill um, Grendel's mother, the Wendell's mother, um, and then they, Beowulf is poisoned by her, though, killing her, killing her, and and getting, like, sicker and sicker. So then they, they kind of have to defend the village without him, like, one last hurrah. And as you were saying, like, oh, they get the structure wrong, I was thinking, why didn't they just have I the know, dragon and... be the last thing they use? Like, it would have it would have made so much more sense to just have that be their big final, like, attempt. Because their final attempt is kind of the same, but without yeah. the dragon, yeah. It's almost you exactly know? the same scene, but without the dragon. <laughs> yeah, because I remembered when it, because we, you know, watched this, like, uh, a long time ago. And I remember there being a big final battle, but... The final battle is like yeah. a few minutes, and it's kind of like it's 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 stranger to me that the dragon is the yeah. midway point versus. And the, I like uh, the idea that the dragon is fire, yeah. and they could have done something like that because yeah, they kill Wendell's mother, and Beowulf is like attacked by poison, and then they know that the leader. It's like like she right. had a poison yeah, she, dagger, like, I believe, them, so he's right? slowly dying of poison. Yeah, and then they know that the leader's gonna come to get revenge. And so they all go outside, and uh, and Beowulf joins them, but he's, like, clearly damaged. And then they attack, but, like, yeah, it's, like, over in, like, five seconds. And, like, I didn't notice this. I mean, I guess, you know, I realized that at the very last part, because they only attack in the fog, and Antonio Banderas is like, well, it's daytime, and then there's no fog, and then, like, clouds roll in. And, uh... And so the idea is that since there's clouds, it gives them enough cover to attack. And it's like, yeah, that's kind of a cool idea, but it's not as visually striking as a thousand torches like coming down the mountain. One thing you left out, and I completely forgot, and the movie <laughs> forgets this too, is they, they spend a little bit of time in the middle between um, Wendell attacks with this, like, the, the king's son, the prince doesn't trust them and is like going to try something but then he just doesn't try something like i don't yeah, think he's they, even in the final they definitely like, have a jared part Kushner of the movie seems like he's evil but it's like hey are you gonna do something or cause... <laughs> yeah they, the last you see of him like he's kind of walking away frustrated they're like now he knows to keep an eye on us and then i don't think you see him again I think they, they mention um, in the trivia that they were supposed to film a scene of, like, he tries to fight them at the end, and Antonio Banderas, like, stops him. But, I don't know, maybe the production was so yeah. trouble. Yeah, or maybe that's one filmed, of the scenes you know? that they shot. Because this movie is pretty short, and it's pretty lean. Um, so that scene, like, yeah, the it's way like it comes 45, up in the movie, yeah. that scene just kind of seems like they're trying to teach Antonio Banderas a lesson. Um, but... Yeah, the the story of the prince isn't really ever resolved. And they they even have the the first night that they've they've arrived in the village, and the king like they've sat down for dinner. 
the prince is like, you haven't seen the monster yet, but you will, and you won't know, like, you think you're courageous, but you're gonna fucking shit yourself when you see this thing. And Beowulf says something like, something like, oh, you think it's courageous to kill your brothers? Uh, and he gets, like, it's almost like this implication that, like, the prince killed his brothers and is going to kill his father. But then it just kind of like yeah. that doesn't come up again. You know what I mean? Like it's a very weird. Like they're setting up something that didn't yeah. get edited and out like, of the movie. So. I there's certain parts where it's like okay, and we this will bring us into our next topic that I want to discuss. Another good thing about this movie is that it really plays with the idea of these cultures mixing, not just the culture of uh, Muslim and Norse, but also the tribe, the Neanderthals. I'm just going to call them Neanderthals. Neanderthals culture. And it's like all these different cultures mixing. So when I saw that scene with the with the sun, I always just assumed that it's like another, here's, here's, uh, here's some Nordic, here's some Nordic way of living. Because like at the beginning, <laughs> one of my favorite scenes is like, there's when Antonio Banderas gets there, they sleep, they spend the night and then they see a little kid and he's like standing at a ship and he goes up to uh, Omar Sarif, who's a translator. And he's like, why is that kid just standing there? And he's like, oh, because he came last night in the fog. And so a lot of times Vikings don't think <laughs> that things are real if they come from the fog. So he's standing there to let him know he's not a ghost and he's not. And that he's real. And, like, that's it. That You just learn that little tidbit yeah. and then it goes on. And there's, like, the other scene, which is played for laughs, but it's still interesting, where um, they're all, like, washing themselves. Yeah, in the same bowl, and they're passing. It's just, it, it was water, but they've all, like, spit in it and, like, rubbed their face in it. But they're passing it around to yeah. use, like, communally. Yeah, and it's just kind of yeah. like, yeah, this is how different they yeah. are. Which is interesting, because, like, a lot of times... And maybe it's another reason I like this movie is because this is one of the few movies where you see Muslim uh, culture displayed as like being lavish and being like, well, it's one of the first movies I saw for sure. Being lavish and being like, like they're almost viewed as not feminine, but like they take baths and they smell nice as opposed to the North. People who are washing themselves in the same, <laughs> and I think, yeah, they they practice like proper hygiene. Yeah, and, and I think that, that it's era. actually yeah. in real life it was even who kind of introduced that way of living to the Vikings because now you realize that the Vikings were actually clean, and all the all the stories of them being dirty were made up by Roman propaganda. Um. <laughs> actually you know what i i did uh i did think it was funny because and i think like it's kind of generally considered that like this movie shows it and i wouldn't have even thought of this but yeah the idea that like the arabic culture would think vikings are disgusting but vikings in real life thought like right. british people were like disgusting because they're like they're, like they don't even wash like at least we yeah. wash our faces but the British just like I mean, live in their fair. shit. Uh, so that it was funny that it rolls yeah, downhill, you be... know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I won't say anything nice well, about the, the British. Don't It's worry, just kind of that but... thing where it's like they were literally dying by the millions because they wouldn't take a shower from the Black Plague. Um, 
<laughs> so, True. So yeah. the North, the Northmen were right as they always are. And so, like, yeah, you see a lot of the different cultures. They even explore the culture of the tribe. Like I said, you see that they're, it's like a two-headed snake where you have the mother of the Wendell and you have the leader of the Wendell and they act differently, but they're both in charge. And then you see their, you know, you see their homes, you see their gods and how they, how they react to things, which I think is interesting. I think it's interesting that even though they're monsters who you don't even have speech that anyone can understand you still see enough of their culture and learn enough about them that they're not just faceless faceless demons even though they you know they should be they do tricks yeah and when they and they do yeah like they do a good job even when they attack and some of them die they'll like carry their dead away so it's like you you think they're ghosts you know and they they have all sorts of like reasons. Like it's like they believe that they're yeah, monsters. Yeah, yeah. You see, like you, know? you learn so much about these guys, despite the fact that like none of them have a speaking role, obviously, and none of them like there's no like even the leader that they kill at the end. The only reason you find out who the leader is because he attacks Beowulf, and he's surrounded by three other horses. But it's not like like I always think of American Sniper, where they gave him like. The Muslim sniper to be his like red skull bad guy because <laughs> it's not enough that he was fighting in a war he needed an arch nemesis I, I, I did I didn't see it but that makes me yeah. feel like I actually want to watch it I mean it's, it. I mean, it's, it's terribly racist because they're like oh yeah he's as good as you except he's Muslim <laughs> he's the best there is and like that happens the Muslim they do that at uh, Enemy at the Gates is like that, isn't it? Well, Enemy at the, the Gates, the whole snipers. plot of the movie is that there's two snipers that are dueling against each other. And that's like, it's literally that Ed Harris is such a good sniper that the propaganda machine makes Jude Law out to be a good sniper, even though he's not as good as Ed Harris. So that's the whole point of the movie. In American Sniper, <laughs> it's just he's an, it's just about his tours in Iraq or in Afghanistan. So there's no reason to give him like an arch nemesis because like in any war, like in a real war, you wouldn't like run into the same people when you went back. You're not fighting the Death Star. They're like, <laughs> yeah, they're like, you know what this movie needs? Uh, like a yeah. Hobbit, like orc you know style what this movie feed. Needs? He, needs a, yeah. he needs a green goblin. <clears throat> I was going to say he needs a Joker, but if anyone's going to be the Joker in that situation, it's going to be an American white man. Um, but yeah, we kind of got off topic. But yeah, you learn a lot about every culture. Um, and I think that's just interesting. I think like it's a good way, despite not hiring an actual Muslim person to play this character, it, like it's respectful of each different culture in a way that not a lot of movies are. Where I feel like, I mean, you understand that it's a movie and not everything's probably going to be totally accurate. But you don't feel like anything's being changed to, like, accommodate, like, or to kind of, like, ignore one culture for the other. I mean, the best scene in the movie is at the end because Antonio Banderas, like, takes off his shoes right before the final battle. And he says a Muslim prayer. And then Bullvie says the Viking prayer. And neither of them are, like, looking at each other in disgust. It's just kind of like, oh, we're both going to do this. And we're one tribe. Yeah, they're, like, united. And I think that that was almost, like, the the interesting. And actually, this, this in a way, this does tie a little bit into, like, the real-life version of, like, what, what little we know of that guy's views. Um, because 
it's like he has this begrudging respect from them that he like kind of earns mm-hmm. throughout the movie like and, and it kind of happens in the way you'd expect where he starts disgusted but then he kind of realizes like oh they're not just like dumb barbarians like there's like something to this so it's almost like even when he's giving the prayer at the end like aside his like brother now that's like it's almost like viking in spirit like he essentially is like praying to die right. well like gloriously which is what the vikings like were praying yeah. for too and it's like yeah. i mean he's it's kind of seen as like a medieval elitist <laughs> where he looks down on the vikings and you know he's kind of seen as like a preppy because in the original in in uh, arabia he's like seen as like a a high art a high up to the king and then he like cheats with the with the <clears throat> queen, and that's why he's cast out. Um, which is also funny if you think that he wrote this book, where he's like, "Why'd you get kicked out of Arabia? Oh, uh, the queen was in love with me, <laughs> and that king didn't like it. I was too irresistible." <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so like, yeah, they they do really play up to uh, how like how like sissy the like the Vikings are like. Are you yeah. riding a dog into battle because his horse is so much smaller? And then so he, to kind of like own them, he like makes it go really fast and like do horse tricks and like jump over stuff. Um, and then later when he's sharpening his sword, they're like, <laughs> oh, I like your knife. Can I give it to my daughter when you die? You know, because it, it's like a very like small yeah. like scimitar. Yeah. And he has to prove himself by like chopping down something and doing a cool yeah. sword trick. And I trick. also like that even though both times when he does both things... They still laugh at him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's kind of praying for all of them and for them to, like, finish their journey well. Where before, like, every time before they fight, he's more worried about himself dying. Where the Vikings aren't really worried about themselves dying. I mean, it's popular Viking myth, myth that Vikings think that they have a certain amount of time that's already been set. And so when it's their time to die, they die. And that's it. You know, like, there's no... Um, you can't escape your death. So, like, if you didn't die tonight, you weren't meant to die ever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, they also... I mean, they emphasize, too, the idea that, like, you're fated to die when you die, but if you don't do it with, like, a sword in your hands, you're not gonna go to Valhalla. Like, and obviously, I'm sure that's just been, like, stretched out over the ages into, like, a larger-than-life idea, but... Yeah, it's it is like the whole warrior like concept. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, like the prayer at the end kind of comes full circle where it shows that Antonio Banderas has kind of realized not that he <clears throat> wants to die, but more that there are bigger things at play sometimes. Yeah, that that, that he doesn't right. mind if he dies as long as he goes out like doing the right thing. I think he even says, uh, actually, this is such a good line. I wrote it down where he's like. I've squandered my days with plans of many things. This was not among them. <laughs> just like those where it's like, oh, I spent so long thinking I would just be this like kind of proper like ambassador that I never considered I would actually want to be here like dying yeah. in battle. You know, it's cool. So then like they fight the leader in a very quick fight. Also, I like, I like this movie a lot, but it does. I have two big problems with it. The first one is that it was clearly shot very dark. And they couldn't, like, I think they realized after the fact that it was shot too dark. So there's just scenes where they've brightened it up in post. And they, um, and you could just tell because it's, like, super grainy and terrible looking. 
Also, I will say, I think that the worst thing is the cinematography. Like, sometimes it's really good, but there's just some noticeable things. Like, I noticed it this time when they're fighting. There's, like, a one of the good scenes is they, they kind of trick the prince's son, who's shady, into, like, they trick one of his lackeys to fight one of their warriors. And it's to teach the prince a lesson to, to fear what you don't know. And, uh, and it's a good scene because, like, the whole time he's, like, pretending that he's more hurt than he is. And then at the very end he kills him. But watching it again, it was clearly filmed over multiple days or during multiple times. Because the, like, color grading is clearly trying to make it the same scene. Which most people don't notice, but if you're paying attention, it's like, oh, this was clearly filmed at a different time. Because their clothes are now, like, blue. Because they had to, like, color grade it a little bit. Uh, and that <laughs> happens a couple of times. Yeah, no, it, I know the light yeah. levels jumped around a bit, and that, that seems definitely one of them. Also, just, yeah, some of the, like, that should have been a really cool scene because he, I guess the rules of their duel was you get, like, three shields, and after you lose those three shields, you're done, you know? Um, but it's framed so poor. It's like, this should be such a cool yeah. fight scene, you know? But it's just, like, the, the, way they, the way it jumps around probably to edit around the fact that you know they were shooting like yeah. entirely different days like it just makes it too choppy to really like and like then the action, there's also you know? well yeah we'll talk about that in a bit but there, there's mm. also the thing where the tribe of, of of the wendell is supposed to be real huge and i always think of this one shot that i'll put in the youtube where they're like they're they're riding <laughs> over a hill and it's very clearly like the same two horses that have been photocopied and basted and it always makes me laugh <laughs> It's the, it's the gremlins yeah. coming out of the pool where they're using the same two models. Yeah, like and it, like, times. it's so yeah. noticeable in that shot. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I don't really care that much, but it is funny. And the second thing that I'll say, it's not great about it, is that, yeah, it's shot in that kind of 90s action way where they're like, oh, hey, what if, what if every shot is a close-up? Every time they're going to attack. So it's like, it's a regular shot. And then when he goes to swing his sword, it like cuts to a close up. And then it cuts to whatever he hit in a close up. And then it cuts back. And it's like, you don't have to cut this much. I mean, I understand you're not really killing people, but there's other ways to do this. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, the fighting is so choppy that I noticed. Is the scene where Antonio Banderas first gets his scimitar. He like throws it in the air, catches it, and does this like spinning wrist yeah. move with it, you know? And then, like, points it at the guy. And every other scene, they're just like, yeah, just kind of, like, step forward yeah. and swing your sword. <laughs> you know? And it's kind of yeah. funny because there is you good know. moments, like, when the when the curly-haired arrow guy, when <laughs> when, when, the perm, when the perm arrow guy dies, <laughs> it's, like, it's in silhouettes and, like, you see them take him over. And that's a cool-looking shot. But there's, like, sometimes when people die, you can yeah. barely tell. Because it's so, it's shopped so weird, you know? <laughs> they even do, um, and again, I'm not going to take the, mark this against the movie, but it is jarring. That duel that we were talking about. Uh, when he actually kills him, the guy has stumbled forward and is kind of like, he's like a mid-stumble where his head is down to the, to the point where it, his head's almost vertical. And then the guy steps forward and just chops it yeah. off in like one quick move. 
But then when it cuts back to the body, right. he's now standing at full height, but headless. <laughs> so it's like, it's like he cut off his head while he was like halfway to the ground. And then the body stood back up to fall down again for the next shot. Like it's super noticeable. Yeah, I do. You're, like, I do. I would right like that it. though. Bodies just stood up after getting their hands cut off. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Like you're like a chicken where your body is still going and, for like yeah, 10 seconds. Yeah, here's the weird thing yeah. about this movie. Like, we usually talk about movies where, like, Freddy's dead. Okay, I get it. You have bad taste. <laughs> That's why you don't like it. Um, or, like, uh, what's another movie we've covered? Jumper. Yeah, okay, I understand why you don't like Jumper. Or Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Like, all the movies we've done so far, I kind of understand why they either weren't well received or people didn't like them. Um. <laughs> no, it's like it's like yeah, you don't like Freddy's Dead. You have bad taste. Yeah, you don't like Jumper. You have, <laughs> you have the, the correct, correct take taste. on that one. <laughs> but my point is, is that I honestly don't understand why people don't like this movie or why it's not more uh, enjoyed because it's so good. Like I could watch this movie all the time. Of like, yeah, it's a simple story about a man learning to not be as selfish as he was. But the fact that like they add all these cultures and everyone's well thought out, all the characters are well done, even like the the one note characters are well done. It kind of feels like, you know, it has that like Quentin Tarantino vibe where even like people who um, who are only on screen for one scene, you still remember them and they don't need like a 45 minute monologue to do it. <laughs> Take that Tarantino. But, like, yeah, I, I honestly don't understand why people don't like this movie. I mean, I, in a way, I do... I, I was surprised looking it up. I do understand why it was a flop in a way. Uh, I said in a way twice, so edit one of those. Oh, absolutely not. But, but I don't... Like, it, it's a good movie, but it's almost a good movie, and then you find out it costs, like, as much money as it did, like, that it was supposed to be a huge blockbuster. You're like, oh, I thought this was, like, a Hellboy style <laughs> shot under budget for thirty thousand that like just didn't get, like got, got too quiet of a release. I didn't think this was supposed to be like a Batman big. I do agree yeah. that there was no way this was gonna make two hundred and fifty million dollars or whatever, especially pre Lord of the Rings because I think Lord of the Rings also came out in nineteen ninety nine. Um, but yeah, I mean, and I understand. I, I don't. I don't care if movies are flops or hits. It's just that like you don't ever really hear anyone talk about this movie. Despite the fact that it's yeah. amazing. I can understand why someone from the Muslim community would be like, fuck this movie. They do get a pass. <laughs> and, I, you know, and that's the one big thing that I kind of understand is if you don't like the fact that he's played by someone who's not Muslim. I get that. All the other guys who are just in every show about Vikings, you know, just total unknowns. That's an... it's, so it's, it's strange to me that they're all accurately like cast in a way that's another cool thing about this movie it's one of those movies where like yeah antonio banderas and omar sharif are clearly noticeable but like everyone else like i don't think i've ever seen anyone else from this movie in anything else and i think it's because the, yeah they just picked nordish actors <laughs> and they were like yeah you can be in this movie and so they went back afterwards to their nordish tv shows or whatever and they didn't like that was it you know yeah, no, and that's it's, it's odd to me that they didn't cast like some big name as Beowulf. Yeah, given the it's also cool. I always like movies Beowulf. where they don't like this movie. This happens a lot, but when they have these kind of movies where it's like the outsider, 
like Mad Max is one of these type of movies. They kind of do the thing where Mad Max ends up... Well, not Mad Max. What's another version of this movie where it's like an outsider who joins the team? Like A Fistful of Dollars where, like, yeah, the outsider comes in. Or Logan. And it's like, yeah, they end... Like, Logan ends up solving the problem. Or, you know, Clint Eastwood ends up solving the problem. But in this, even though Antonio Banderas is the protagonist or the main character, he's not the protagonist. It's Beowulf who stops the mother and stops uh, uh, stops the leader. So it's kind of like like they let the story happen where Antonio Banderas takes more of a observer role, even though he still has a story arc. And I think that that's also really well done. It's a bit of a great Gatsby situation where it's Nick Carraway watching Gatsby live. Exactly. Great Gatsby is a good example. Um, but yeah, so I think that I think that's interesting, and I think they did it well, and they took a lot of risks with this movie that they didn't have to, and it came out well. If anyone sees it, I would highly recommend watching the Thirteenth Wire. It was on Hulu a while back, but I don't know if it's still on Hulu. You can buy it on YouTube or Amazon Prime for like probably. Well, I wouldn't buy, rent it. Yeah, I don't. I don't buy movies anymore, so I don't recommend anyone buy any movies. Yeah, like if you, I'm gonna cut that out. But if you, um, <laughs> yeah, except the empty spaces, buy if, that. Yeah, except except for award winning movies <laughs> that just won awards this year. Um, I'm gonna put it in for the Oscars because what am I going up against? Fucking Dune, Wonder Woman, 1984. Yeah, we got yeah. you, baby. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think if you like medieval movies, you'll definitely like this movie. Check it out. And also, that brings me to my final point, that this week starts our first um, week, or no, our first couple of episodes of theme episodes. Da-da-da-da! Theme episode! That's a bomb squad. You should you should do, like, the, the radio guy, like, the bomb squad, like, where you, like, distort the sound. You should you should have, it should be just two, two different movie clips you use. Just the weird part where he's breathing in Terminator 2 right before he sets off the bomb, Dyson, where he, like, can't hold it any longer. And Guy Pierce's like, dialogue from the beginning <laughs> yeah. of the Hurt Locker. But yeah, but anyway, back to the point. Our theme for the next couple of episodes is going to be medieval movies, because we feel like there's a lot that we can talk about that are also good and bad. What genre of film has more duds than medieval movies? We'll be forced to find the good in them. And we're starting off with one we liked, and we'll, we'll, we'll be going back and forth between the ones we like and ones we... Terrible. We started with Brotherhood of the Wolf, if you think about it. That was the first medieval action movie we covered, so if you like the genre, go back and also listen to that episode yeah. and watch that yeah, movie. That's a, yeah, we're, we're advertising our own episodes now, so go back and watch Brotherhood <laughs> of, the, of the Wolf episode, and then come back and watch this one again, and then, uh, and then get ready for our next one. And also, we're going to start, we're going to do the first episode of The Deep Dive, where we take a look at uh, we take a deeper look at characters, uh, movies, and themes. We're starting with the most important character movie or theme, Skeletor. And now he's from the He-Man universe, 
and how he's changed over the years from different TV shows, movies, and other stuff. So check that out. That's actually going to be out before this episode, I just realized. But go back and check it out. It's super cool, and I spent a lot more time on it. But yeah, so this was the first episode of the deep, uh, not deep dive, Jesus Christ, of the Pump Squad. And come back next time when we'll be talking about... I was going to say... I wanted to mention this because I just found it out before the podcast. John Carpenter's birthday is today. Oh, yeah. So I was like, oh, man, if we had realized that and done a John Carpenter movie on the... That would have been... But we didn't, you know... Who keeps track of John Carpenter? Also, we we would have had to do it like two weeks ago, so it would be released today. I know. So people would be like, oh, his birthday was last month. Thanks, (laughs) guys. It's kind of like how our Halloween (laughs) episodes are like, oh, yeah, it's now December. Okay, cool. Um, but yeah, John Carpenter's birthday is today. My birthday is tomorrow because he's the past and I'm the future. Um, you two are twins, yeah. almost. Almost twins. That should be the name of my next film. Almost twins. It's just about two random people who are born kind of close to each other. Um, but yeah, that was the Bomb Squad. Welcome to 2021. Hopefully you enjoyed it. And hopefully you've gone and watched The 13th Warrior, a great movie. Come back next week when we talk more medieval times. We're gonna Renaissance. Oh wait, you didn't, you didn't you didn't say what the next movie? Yeah, because is. I don't because I I know that there's there's I don't I haven't picked the next movie, but it's gonna be something. Um, and we're gonna judge it. Do like the next movie is, and then you put in your own voice in a completely different pitch, yeah. saying the next movie. The next movie is King Arthur and the King Arthur's. Um, <laughs> That's not a movie. King Arthur and the King Arthur. Also, if we watch a movie we've never seen before and we like it, we're going to judge it (laughs) and we're going to say whether it's bad or whether it's Renaissance fair. (laughs) Welcome back to the Bomb Squad, bitches. All right, that was. They probably never left. That was it, or they probably haven't come. Um, Also, it is. (laughs) This is irrelevant, but it's kind of funny that it's like. Why do our views take so long to build? Oh, because we literally pick movies that nobody likes and nobody wants to watch. <laughs> and we make videos about how they're good? Yeah. Why did I think of that that's going to be hard for people to discover? But anyway, welcome to Bomb Squad. We'll see you guys next time. Bizers. That's how I say it now. I say, I say King Bizers Castle. <laughs>